We're going to turn together in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It's a very well-known verse in the Bible. Galatians 2 and 20, the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in the region of Galatia. And he says one of the most profound statements regarding his own testimony. And I've often meditated upon it privately. The extent to which this impacted Paul. Galatians 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for the words that we have listened to in song. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing at this time, even in this house and this area. We come tonight, Lord, and we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. I take authority in your name over every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is Lord. And I pray that you would cleanse and sanctify and purify this sanctuary. And I pray, Lord, as we continue that the anointing and power and presence of the Holy Spirit would be manifest in this house. I give myself again completely to you, Lord. I pray that you will cleanse me and take me as I give myself to you. We thank you again, Lord, for all that you're going to do in the days that are before us. And so we worship you and we ask for your blessing and the sheltering of your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to speak to you this evening on a message that I've entitled, The Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Here in Galatians 2 and 20, Paul is giving his own personal testimony, and he's bringing back all relating his conversion on the Damascus Road, his encounter with Ananias, his experience in the wilderness when he met God, and all the encounters that he had with the Lord. And what he does is he encapsulates all that has happened in his life right up to this point. And this is what he said, I am or I was crucified with Christ, yet not I. I live, but not I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul said, I don't live, Christ lives in me. Do you live? Do you live or does Christ live in you? You say, well, Alan, he dwells in me. I received him at conversion when I became a Christian. Yes, he, he dwells in you. But does he live in you? In other words, Paul said that the Paul that was on the Damascus road, the Paul that lived that life, that religious life, 
and was keeping to the law as a Pharisee, he said, that Paul is gone. He's gone. He doesn't live anymore. Can you say that the person naming yourself, that person doesn't live anymore? Doesn't behave like that anymore. Doesn't react like that anymore. Doesn't think like that anymore. This is very radical. And so what Paul is essentially saying, I am submissive to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Almost 40 years ago, a gospel mission came to the village of Kiliman. The late Reverend Sam Workman came and had an evangelistic campaign. I come under conviction of sin at that mission. And at 17 years of age, I was clearly and very powerfully converted to Jesus Christ. I knew that my life was changed, and for the first time I had the assurance that if I died, I would go to heaven. And I've held that from I was 17. I didn't think too much about doctrine or churches because I didn't have a motor car at the time, so my brother went to a brethren assembly, and so I joined the brethren. It wasn't anything to do with theology. It was just getting a car to bring me wherever. I thank God for those people. Most of them are now with the Lord. They were all elderly, most of them, but that was good because at the end of the day, I recognized as a 17-year-old, if I hung about with 17-year-olds, I would know as much as they knew, and that would be nothing. So there wouldn't be much point in hanging about with them. The older people could teach me. After a few years in the assembly, I was informed as to how I should worship. I was stipulated a number of rules and regulations, so I went through those. I was told what to do, and I did it. And I participated at the Lord's table. I got involved in open airs. I did many of the things that was requested. I was at the prayer meeting. I was involved, as they say, in open airs. I got involved in in Friday work, children's work. I was really involved, but down deep inside, there was a vacuum And there was a conflict. And I certainly couldn't have said that Christ lives in me. He dwells in me, but he's certainly not living through me. And there's very little in my life that actually tallies up with the life of Christ. There were so many inconsistencies. There were so many dreadful failures that I used to bow down and say, Oh God, I promise you I'll never sin again. I'll never do that again. And then very shortly I was back there again. It was really a life of relative spiritual failure. Generally, failure with an occasional victory. But that's the way it was. 
Although I was doing everything that looked right, and most people felt I was probably a reasonable or a good Christian, I couldn't have said, Christ is living in me. Praying was particularly difficult. I found it a very painful and thoroughly dissatisfying experience. And I discovered very early on as a Christian that most Christians in most churches actually had the same problem. Hence, the prayer meetings were over very sharp. You got them over fairly quick because there wasn't much risk of really much happening in them. And the same people prayed the same prayer year in and year out. I came to a place of deep inner dissatisfaction with where I was, to the extent that I decided I was going to either park Christianity altogether or there would be something would happen. I didn't realize at the time that the Holy Spirit was working in my life. I didn't realize that he permitted me to experience internal failures. I didn't realize at the time that he was permitting uh, me to fail in areas of my thought life, in areas of lust, in areas of deceit, in areas of pride, in areas of worldliness. I I didn't realize that God was permitting, because you see, I had a list laid out for God. God, if you solve that problem, that problem, and that problem, if you take that fruit off the tree, that fruit, that fruit, and you remove them, I'll be a wonderful Christian. Did you ever think like that? If God would just get rid of these little niggly things that are there that keep keep making me feel down and, and, and I have to repent, if God would just deal with those fruit issues, I would be a great Christian. Why will he not take it away? And so to cut the story short, a man in my assembly told me to go to a prayer meeting where I first met Bertie, or a few times I'd met him before, I'd heard him preaching, but met him in Armagh. And went to these prayer meetings, and the prayer meetings after a mission continued for over a year, I think. And we met a lot of mornings, at least two, three, four, maybe every morning, I can hardly remember. We met very regularly for prayer. But what was distinctly different was that there was this presence that was in this prayer meeting that had not been in my church prayer meeting. And it brought me right back to my conversion to when I went to that mission and was converted. And again, I felt that presence. I knew that presence. I knew it was, that was God. And that when God was there, that was a good thing. And it was a very warm thing. It was a very exciting thing when you felt God. And so I was touched again by God. And and I began to pray and say, Lord, what, what is wrong with me? What is it with me? I'm doing everything the church is telling me. I'm, I, I'm just, I've obeyed all the rules by way of stipulation, what you're meant to do to be a good Christian. And Lord, I'm so unhappy inside. I'm, I'm so miserable in myself. Prayer is ineffective. And I'm not remotely satisfied. And Christ certainly is not living in me. And what had happened was the Lord had began to stir in my heart and he 
he created within me a hunger to start asking questions. Have you got to the place where you've started to ask the questions yet? You've began to say to God, rather than just playing the game, rather than doing the religion, and, and yes, you will satisfy the elders or the minister or the pastor. You may keep them happy, but it will not bring contentedness to your soul, nor will it glorify God. And so I came to a place where I said, God, what is wrong? And God very powerfully spoke to my heart because I was seeking him now. I was asking the right questions. And I learned something vital, so many things at that time. And one was, God answers prayer when you ask the right questions. God turns up and begins to work in your life when you start falling into alignment with his will. God will show up for you. You'll see him. You'll experience him. You'll know him personally if you come into alignment with his will. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You must come into agreement with God. And when you do, then God will begin to reveal himself. Jesus said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus said, when you truly love me, I will manifest myself. I will keep revealing myself to you. So it's not a matter of saying in your testimony, I met God 40 years ago. But on the journey, it may be you could say, I met him an hour ago. Or I really met him a week ago. He really met me. He manifested himself to me. Christianity, believe it or not, is all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Paul said it's no longer Paul that's alive. It's Christ. It's Christ in me. God said to me, Alan, you're an idolater. I said, God, that couldn't be right. Sure, I'm in the gospel hall. I'm in the brethren. How could you be an idolater in the brethren? Not possible. But the Holy Spirit persisted. No, you're an idolater. You ask me what's wrong, I'm telling you. You get more thrills and excitements out of your car, washing it, polishing it, than you do reading and praying. You have more interest. And the problem is that you're an idolater. You've got a God in your life, and it's not me. Oh, yes, I'm there, but I'm not center stage. And the Bible says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The great sin of the evangelical church of Northern Ireland is idolatry. That's the great sin. Don't be talking about the gays. Don't be talking even about the abortion issues. My friend, those things are relevant. They need dealt with. But the big sin of the church is idolatry. Idolatry. You have other gods. I have met Christians who are 
you know, they're, they're quite heavily into politics. And that's okay. I think Christianity and having political views, that can be good as long as the political views are good. But you see, friends, during the times of the Troubles and during the history of our land, I have watched men that I knew who when it came to some great battle that was needed, maybe in Portadown or somewhere, they would go and stay in sleeping bags for nights to battle for some kind of a god and Ulster. But the same men would never be in the prayer meeting. The same men wouldn't bring their sleeping bag to God's house. You know why? Because they're idolaters. Because they've got a different God. It just happens to be their culture or their political view. You see, friends, it can be anything. Madam, it can be your kitchen sink or your wee rose cottage ornament. It can be your children. It can be your house. It can be your education. It can be a thousand things. But God said, no gods before me. And God said, that's your problem. I said to the Lord, but Lord, I want, you, I want to deal with the fruit. I want to deal with this area and that area and that area. And God never even dealt with those things with me. He never even raised conversation about these issues that I said, if you could get rid of them. Do you know what I discovered, friends? God doesn't go to fruit. God goes to the root. And God said to me, here's your problem, Alan. You're an idolater at heart. And those issues that you see are just fruit issues of a root problem. And the root problem is you have never made me first. I never wept when I became a Christian. Not that weeping is necessary. But I certainly wept as a Christian over the sins that God showed me in my life as a Christian. And God brought me to a place of utter abandonment, where I came to a place where I gave up on any hope of myself, Alan Bartley, of him ever being able to do anything for God And I realized that God had let me experience failure after failure after failure so that I would eventually get the message that God said, there's nothing I can do with him. There's nothing I can do with him. I can't redeem Alan Bartley, the old flesh, that old man. I can do nothing with him. Only nail him to the cross. And you must relinquish him. You must choose to abandon him. You must leave him. And you must cast all your faith, trust, and confidence in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God did wonderful things in my life at that time. I knew for the first time While some old preachers like W.P. Nicholson used to talk about second blessing. Others talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some others talked about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. One great American preacher said, I don't care what you call it, just get it. And I agree. 
Because the great deficiency in the church of Jesus Christ today is the lack of men and women, even leaders and pastors, who are anointed and empowered and filled with God the Holy Spirit. There is no plan B in God's kingdom for the furtherance of the work. It is always not by might nor power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, this mountain shall be removed. I believe with all my heart there's going to be a great revival in Ireland. I have believed it for many, many years. But I believe it more today than I ever did. But I also recognize that there are preliminary preparations for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it involves the individual. It involves you and I who are believers. I don't know the vessels that God may choose to use in such an awakening. But in every awakening there always have been vessels that God has peculiarly set aside for the work of his kingdom. We are at a stage in our country and in the church where revival has never been needed more than today. While the church is large numerically and we have many denominations and many organizations, nevertheless, my friends, the spiritual depth and temperature of the church has perhaps never been as low. Where you point and where you see the temperature is look at the prayer meeting of the church. That will tell you the temperature. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. You say, well, Alan, what do we have to do in order to get to this place where Paul was? Could I ever be at a place in my life where I could say, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ is alive in me? That I know his presence, that I enjoy his presence when I'm praying, that I can walk with him and talk with him, that he speaks to me and he fills my mind with his thoughts, and he enables me to have victory over the enemy, and he teaches me the strategies of the kingdom, and he enables me and anoints me to serve others and to do his work here on earth. Alan, is there any possibility of that happening in my life? A thousand times, yes. You see, I have failed so many times, I don't care. But my, my failures are way beyond, I don't care. There are certain strategic steps the Christian must make. And if they do, the Lord in his own way, at his own time, will come with his healing his filling, his delivering power into your life, and he will enable you to perform his will and his assignment for you here on earth in preparation for a further assignment when you get to heaven. The first thing that's required is hunger. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Alan, I don't have much hunger. Make sure you start telling God about it. Tell God I've no hunger. Tell God I've so little interest to pray. 
Tell him that you really want to follow him and you'd like him to create a hunger. And if you're really earnest, God will hear you. Ask him to put the hunger in you. He'll do it if you're willing. But mind you, God has no seals. Always remember, God's not like Tesco. He's not like Lidl or Lidl, whatever you call it. He's not like them. You don't ever see in God's economy, God coming up and saying, I'm in trouble here. I need something done on earth. So the price to be paid for the fullness of the Spirit, God says, uh, I'm afraid I've had to cut it to 50%. Never happens. The Holy Spirit is the birthright of the Christian. The fullness of the Spirit is what God, Jesus, purchased for us on the cross. And he told the disciples, after they had walked with him for three years, and they had saw miracles raising from the dead, they had witnessed people being healed, delivered of demons, the man of Gadara, when they saw that man who was a madman, delivered from the legion of demons, and then he became a great preacher in Decapolis, they saw it all. Wouldn't you think that they would be prepared now for ministry? Wouldn't you think after all that, that that was better than any Baptist or faith mission or any Bible college that there might be? Wouldn't you think that would be the training you would need? Three years with Jesus on the job, and then you're ready. Jesus said, you're not. You're not ready. Well, what did he say? He said, you've got to go to the upper room and you've got to wait there. And he said, what's going to happen is I'm going to leave and go to heaven and I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he said, he's going to do something significant in your life. When he comes, he said, he's going to fill you with dynamite or dunamis power. He's going to give you the power and the authority of heaven so that you will be able to come as God's policeman on the earth and you will enforce by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, you will enforce God's will on earth. You will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. You will take people that are demon-possessed and you will cast those demons out because he said the kingdom of God has now come to earth. Now, what many of us have done, and it's part of our culture here in Northern Ireland, and the whole church is affected by it, is that the parts that are too supernatural have been relegated to the apostles. So if there's anything too supernatural, we don't believe that anymore. We don't accept that anymore. We wipe that out anymore. That doesn't fit anymore. And before we know it, we're left with a church that does nothing, only tells you you need to be born again. After that, you read your Bible, say your prayers, and rub your nose, as Nicholson used to say. You're bereft of power. You're bereft of anointing. You can't enforce the kingdom of God, but rather you become, as the church has become, a little frightened schoolboy that is constantly waiting for the rapture to take a out because there's nothing the church can do to change anything that's happening on the earth. But Jesus said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. My friends, we've cut ourselves short from so much that God would want to do. 
And one of the beauties of revival, when the Holy Ghost invades a community, is that all the truths that have been lost and forgotten and rejected, suddenly the Holy Ghost raises them up. And he begins to use them powerfully. And people are awakened and quickened to the reality, to the power, to the enabling of God when God saturates a community. Hunger. Elijah was followed by Elisha. And Elisha said, I want a double portion. I don't only want what you have had, Elijah. I want twice it. Even to think of such a thing was brave, wasn't it? I want twice what you have. But you know what Elijah said? He said, you're asking well, but you'll have to follow hard after me. In other words, this is not going to be something that you'll make a whim and say, oh, I'll have what God has, and then the next day you're back to the world. No, it's not going to happen like that, my friend. No, no, it has to be complete commitment, just like Elisha. And everywhere Elijah went, the prophets come out and said, you're wasting your time. Everybody said, don't be doing it, you're wasting your time. He said, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to keep after him. I'm not going to stop. I don't care what other prophets say. I don't care what other Christians say. I don't care their opinions. I have decided I'm going to get the double portion, no matter what it costs. And he followed, and he got it. You'll get what you want. You have as much of God in your life as you want to have. You have as much as you want. There must be very quickly detachment from sin. Detachment from sin. In 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you ever hear of cleansing yourself? Say, Alan, I thought it was the blood that does the cleansing. No, no. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writing, he said, cleanse yourselves. What did he mean? Is he contradicting? I thought he said the blood cleanse. What does he mean? Well, what he means is the blood can only cover what you uncover. The blood will only deal with what you bring to the light. In other words, you have to be fully involved and fully engaged in the seeking of God so that sin in your life can be brought to the light and you will deal with that sin in the light. And when you come and seek to cleanse yourself and keep to deal with sin in your life, then the blood will cleanse. So there must be a dealing with sin. There can be idols in our lives. Oh, ask the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll show you. He'll, he'll show you. I had a gentleman with me recently, and he belonged to one of the loyal orders. I'll not say which one it was. But he called with me recently, and he said, Alan, I have been praying for a long time, and I have been seeking the Lord. And he said, I have been a Christian, and I have been in this and that, and I have belonged to this, and there's nothing particularly sinful or wrong about anything he was doing. And he said to me, I felt comfortable. I was a Christian. I was a church, whatever. But he said, you know, God began to speak to me. Mm. What triggered that? 
Well, I've been going to these prayer meetings where other men are praying, and as we're praying, God is beginning to speak to us. Oh, you can hold on to your idols if you're not seeking God. You can justify your idols. You can retain your idols and still maintain that you're loyal to God. Oh, you can do that, but start seeking God and you'll find out that he's holy. Start seeking God and you'll find that the Holy Spirit will begin when he sees you seeking him to show you things in and around and about you that he doesn't like. And he'll test you to see whether you really want Christ. And he said, I took out everything. And he says, all the equipment and all the regalia that I wear. And he said, I burned it. I burned it all. And I'll never march again. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm I'm just telling you, my friend, that the Holy Spirit pointed out to a man that he had an idol. And he broke his idol down. To let God become God in his life. That's all I'm saying. I'm not telling you what your idol is. That's between you and God, you see. That's between you and God. Mine was a motor car. It's a poor God to have, isn't it? When you could have the creator of the ends of the earth, when you could have the sustainer, heaven, earth, and eternity dwelling in your heart and living and speaking to you by his Holy Spirit. It's a poor, it's a poor my friend, uh, setting aside of the creator for some part of his creation, isn't it? Laying aside the eternal for the temporal. We're all idol- idolaters at heart. It's laying aside all idols and all control and manipulation of other people. Are you a manipulator? Are you a controller? Are you your own idol? Well, control. Then there's all forms of sexual promiscuity. Oh, that has to be dealt with and dealt with honestly before the Lord. Then there's greed and the love of money and whatever that has to come to the altar. That can be a God. And then there's broken relationships When there's no honor to mother or father and relationships are fractured and broken. And people say, I want the power of the Holy Spirit. I want God in my life. And we pray with those people and nothing happens. And we pray again. And they say, I really want God to set me free. I want to walk in God's fullness. And we pray again and nothing happens. And then we discover there's somebody in their life. I won't forgive them. I won't forgive them. See, my dear friends, when there's unforgiveness in your heart, then you cannot experience the fullness and the blessing and the joy of the Lord. Jesus said, if you do not forgive, then I will not forgive. Then, of course, there's dishonesty. Dishonesty. I heard of a butcher on one occasion. He was seeking the Lord to come into a deeper place with the Lord and And whenever he came forward for repentance to seek the Lord, he said, I'm going to repent over my left little pinky finger. Oh, what's happened with the little pinky finger? He said, whenever I was uh, selling products, he said, when the meat would go on the scale on the left side, I would put my little pinky in at the side and I would push the scales down just a little bit extra. And then I would charge them for it. So I'll have to repent for the little pinky finger, for I'm a thief. My friend, those things can't go on in our lives 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can go to meetings. You can belong to any denomination you want to. You can be an elder. You could even be a pastor if you wanted. But you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, if any man come after me, and t- he said, if he doesn't take up the cross, he cannot be my disciple. It's not if or much. He says, you cannot. Oh, yes, it's possible to be a Christian, but not to be a disciple. There are multitudes of Christians in Northern Ireland. They're not disciples of the Lord Jesus. They're not disciples. They're disciples of their denomination. They're disciples of their minister or their presbytery or whatever, but not of the Lord Jesus. But it doesn't matter about these other things. My friends, at the end of the day, you and I will meet the Lord. You and I, it's going to be a personal interview and and I'll have to give mine and you'll have to give yours. And I want to tell you that God wants to fill your life. I want to tell you that you may be thinking now there are so many barricades, so many difficulties, so many issues in my life that would prevent me from being held, uh, being filled. I want to tell you that God will move heaven and earth for you. There is nothing he cannot do. There is no wound in you that cannot be healed. There is no hold that Satan has over a part of your personality that cannot be broken off. There is no place in your life that God cannot fill if you will but seek him and put him first in your life. And so there must be a detachment from sin. There must be a detachment from that which is doubtful. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, laying aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Laying aside every weight, the doubtful things. I remember many years ago a preacher saying in a meeting, he said about this man that he leaned down over the balcony and he said to his wife, he said, is this shirt clean? I'm about to go to a meeting. Is this shirt clean? She said, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. Stay away. Areas of conscience where God may speak into your heart. Others may be permitted to be in that thing. Others may be permitted to do that thing. But the Holy Spirit to your conscience will say, No, you must obey your conscience. Many people get involved in various things, but the doubtful things must also come to the cross. From the good when there's a better. (laughs) That's a difficult one. You remember Mary and Martha were meeting, they were before the Lord, and the Lord was sitting at the table, and Mary was at his feet, and Martha got into a real, oh, she got into such upset. She said, Lord, do you not care? Mary's sitting there, and I'm so busy serving. I'm so busy doing, Lord, and working for you. And the Lord said to Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, Mary, your sister, has taken the better part. And it'll not be taken away from her. She's at my feet. You see, what Martha was doing was good. But what Mary was doing was the best. And the Holy Spirit will guide and show you the best. 
D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, said that when he was a young man, after he got converted and filled with the Holy Spirit, he was gifted in so many areas. He was gifted in youth work. He was gifted with adults. He was gifted with young people. He was gifted in so many areas. And a dear brother came beside him one day and he said, D.L. Moody, Dwight, you are gifted in so many areas, but he said, you're, you're not really hitting anything and having an impact. You need to seek God and find out where God wants you to be and what God wants you to hit. And the Lord, as he spoke to the Lord, the Lord showed him, I want you to be an evangelist. And so he laid aside all the other good work, the good work. He laid it all aside and he devoted himself completely to the work. And sometimes you can be divided into lots of things and you're not really much use. D.L. Moody, we're told in one of the, I think it's Britannica, the dictionary, it says that he was responsible or influential in leading one million people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Elisha, whenever he was at home, he was a farmer and looking after the farm. And he had a yoke. And he had the oxen and the plow. And the prophet came one day and he said, Elisha, there's something better for you. You're a farmer at the moment, but I have a calling. And you're going to follow me. And you're going to become a prophet of fire to the land. There's a higher calling on your life than what you're doing. And Elisha felt the call in his heart and he had to take the old plow that was made of wood and he made an altar and he burnt the plow and he took the cattle and he killed them and he put them on the altar so there was no going back. The Davy Brown went up in flames. No tractor to go back to. It was goodbye, mother and father. Goodbye. Yes, that was good. He was serving the Lord. But God said, I have a higher calling. My friend, there's a higher calling for your life. You need to seek the Lord when youth is on your side, when you've still your vitality and your strengths and you've got your capabilities. Give them all to Jesus Christ. Give everything you have to him. Whatever resources you have, give it to him. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. I'd been at the deathbeds of people who were Christians and had served the Lord well. And I can tell you not one of them had regrets about serving Jesus Christ. Not one of them had regrets about dedicating their life to Jesus. There must be dethronement, very quickly. Dethronement. It's no longer I that liveth. Christ that liveth in me, dethronement. <laughs> Send goodbye to yourself. Hard to die. Hard to die. My friends, we can go to meetings, we can do, and self will still be alive. Self is an awful, secretive, deceptive, hateful thing. Just keeps popping up. But the wonderful news is this, that the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 that I was crucified with Christ. This issue is already dealt with, my friend. 
You don't have to do the dying. You're already dead. You simply have to accept and believe it by faith that you are dead. That when Jesus died on that cross, that that self-life died as well. And that if you will go into agreement with Jesus Christ, then that self-life will be as dead. And the Bible says, you'll not any longer be dominated by the flesh. Because if we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You'll be like Paul when he said, it's, it's no longer me anymore. But he said, I'm living in the flow of the Holy Spirit all the time. I have learned to pray in the Spirit. I have learned to walk in the Spirit. There must be dethronement. Our present queen is what's called a constitutional monarch. It means that she reigns, but she does not rule. She has no power. Very frequently, people come to my home for prayer and different things. And one of the things, the stories that I regularly tell them is this. I'm so glad that you have come and that you want to be free. I'm so glad that God is working in your life. And I know, as you sit in my study, that God loves you with a love that I couldn't even begin to comprehend. I know whatever the issue is in your life, whatever difficulty you have, that as I see God in this room, God loves you. And God wants to forgive you, and God wants to bless you, and God wants to enrich you, and he wants to bless your children and your grandchildren, because that's just the kind of God he is. And when they come and they begin to share their difficulty, I tell them this story. Whenever I became a Christian... It was like my life was a house. Now, whenever someone, when I was a child, and even yet I don't do it, but my wife does it, whenever people come to the house, there's what's called the good room. You never go into it only on Christmas if you can get the heat on. There's a good room. Bring them into the good room. Set them on a nice tea, get out a nice wee cup. There's no mugs or anything, a nice wee saucer, all that caper. And give that all to them and be polite and nice and lovely. And that's what happens when we invite Jesus into our life. We treat him nicely. And he's in the good room and we wouldn't dare think of assaulting or affronting him because he's in the good room. He's a lovely, kind person and we want to reciprocate that. Many Christians, that's where they stay. And so they go to the prayer meeting and they go and Jesus is this lovely visitor But the problem is that even though you go through all the other stuff, all the Christianity supposedly, all the stuff that we do, it seems that the development of relationship with Jesus doesn't tend to mature very much. And what happens to Christians at this point is that they very, very subtly fall in under the great deception of the devil, which is legalism. The subtlety of the devil. And he says, don't worry about the relationship with Jesus. Don't worry about whether you can pray to him or not. Just what you do now is fall into all the rules that your ancestries have told you. And you'll go right back to the Pharisees again. And you do this and you do that. And you don't dress this way and you don't wear that. And you don't do this and you do that. And before you know it, your head's fried. And you still don't know God. And you still can't pray. But you're deceived into believing that you're walking with God. 
That's the great deception of legalism. I've been there. Don't worry, I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. And some of you are in it to the neck. You're in it to the neck. Christianity, my friend, is Christ. Christianity is Jesus living in me. It is Jesus talking to me. It is Jesus filling me with the fruit of his presence and his love so filling me that out of my innermost being will flow rivers of living water and minister into the lives of other people who are in great need and long for his love. It's just love flowing through you. Sure, God is love. They said about an old, an old uh, holiness preacher, I forget his name, and he used to say, Bud Robinson, the American, and he said, wherever you poke me, honey will come out. I have met a lot of holiness people. I have met a lot of Christians and leaders and pastors, and I saw them getting poked, and honey didn't come out. You never know what's in an orange till you squeeze it, and you never know what's in a Christian till you squeeze them. Sometimes Christians maybe don't look the part. They're like an old black banana. I remember a woman telling me that there's a lot of Christians. They're like old black bananas. They look like nothing on the outside. But boy, when you open them up, they're sweet. And then there's some of them, and boy, they look good, ripe yellow bananas. Boy, they look good on the outside. And you open them up, and there's bitters gall. It's like a whole lot of Christians. You see, my dear friends, Jesus doesn't want to be in your sitting room, sitting with a little cup of tea. I'll tell you what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to come into that sitting room and say, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry that I've treated you like this. I am giving you the right this moment to take every room in this house and go into it. If there's any furniture you don't like, throw it out. If there's any colors you don't like, you change them. If there's anything needs rearranged or dumped, Lord Jesus, this is your house, and I'll simply do what you want me to do. My friend, that's what we call consecration. That's what we call giving everything to Christ. And until you give him everything, you will never know his fullness in the way that he wants you to know it. As one said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Have you ever given him everything? Have you ever laid everything on the altar and said, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? Not only doing it, but, my friends, maintaining it. Maintaining it day after day, week after week, year after year, every day. Lord, my life is yours. Do what you like. Whatever pleases you. Lord, I have no plans, no agenda, nothing in my mind other than the will of God. That's all that fills my mind. What does God want? That's the way Paul lived. That's the way Paul lived. Giving yourself. Very quickly as we close. You could, my friends, detach from sin as God the Holy Spirit speaks to you. With the aid of God, you could take your life and give it unconditionally to him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm choosing with your help and your grace. And let me tell you, my friend, when you go to make those moves, there are so many things the enemy will use to stop you. One of the most powerful one is fear. 
I don't want to make a mug of myself. I don't want to make a fool of the things of God. I don't want to step out and, and, and let everybody down. I don't want to do that. And the devil uses fear. Do you remember when the children of Israel came to Kadesh Barney and they were about to get into the land? And the Lord said, here's the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's representative of the spirit-filled life and the life of the Christian as God intended. And, and the Lord said to them, listen, you've been in a wilderness. I'm taking you into the land. You've come to this case called, place called Kadesh Barnea, which means holiness. I'm bringing you to this place where you can step in. And you'll begin to fight the devil. But boy, will you see my power. And you'll get land you never thought. And you'll get houses that you never built. And you'll get vineyards that you never planted. And you'll see things that I'm going to just give you. Because that's my nature. But will you go in? And they came and ten spies said, Listen, there's giants in the land. The walls are up to the sky. We'll never be able to do this. And fear got hold of the people. Unbelief took hold of all their hearts. Discouragement gripped them. And they turned around and they said, we can't go in. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Noel Grant was so right in the little hymn that he rang, wrote many years ago, The Price is High. Severe the test for those who will enjoy God's best. Surrender all and take the road with those who will go through with God. But my dear friends, for those two men, Joshua and Caleb, they said, we're well able to take the land. We're well able. We're going to take this land. We're going to believe God. And God said that all the men had to die. All the men for all 40 years had to die. But God said, not Joshua and Caleb. They had another spirit. Another spirit. To have another spirit, a different spirit, a spirit that believes God, a spirit that says, yes, there's an enemy, but God's bigger than the enemy, and God will help me, and God will enable me, and God will give me all that I need for the journey. And so as I close, my friends, you must detach, you must dethrone, and then you must depend, you must lean on God. You must lean on his promises. If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father not give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Just coming in total submission and abandonment and recklessness and coming with a sense of complete rejection of self and disgust at self and say, God, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I don't know even how to properly live the Christian life. I don't know how to pray. I don't understand the Bible. I don't know everything. But Lord, I want you to know that I'm putting everything I have and am. I'm going to throw it, Lord, before you. And I simply trust you to take me and fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your life. Give me the fullness of your presence. And on the cast iron guarantee of God's word. God will fill you. My dear friends, this is the Bible says, if you ask anything, anything according to his will, he heareth you. <laughs> I wonder, have you ever given yourself to God? 
wonder if you ever experienced. Let me close. When I was a student, I went over to the, Belf- or to the uh, Faith Mission Bible College, and there was a great, there was a great uh, lecturer and principal at that time who greatly influenced my life. His name was Colin Peckham. And I remember as I sat under the ministry of him and his wife especially, she had been converted in the Lewis Revival. And he told us that as a young man, he had a huge farm, thousands of acres, and his father was wishing him to take on this huge farm in South Africa. And his students, he said that he came to the Lord and he knew he was saved, but oh, he knew an emptiness within. He knew that he didn't have that fullness. He didn't have that passion, that love for souls or God. He didn't have it. And so he went around meetings and he went to different, talked to different preachers. And he said, I sought and I sought and I prayed and I trusted and I tried. And he said, all to no avail. It seemed the devil defeated me at every step. And it went on and on. And I tried everything, he said. But God knew in my heart that I wanted him. God knew in my heart that he meant everything to me and I would give up anything for him. And he said I had yielded all. And I was willing to relinquish the farm and the business and all those things that were coming his way. And he said I was led by a friend to just come to the Lord by faith. And just believe his word. And he said, I took hold of the promise of God that if I would give myself to him, that he would send the Holy Spirit, that that was his desire, and he would fill me. And he said, the devil came and he said, there's nothing happened. And he said, I went through such a storm. It's called the fight of faith. Fight of faith. But he said, I held on and I wouldn't let go. And I was walking down a road, he says, outside, I think it was Pretoria. And he said, this old dusty road. And I was walking down and I was thanking God for what he had done and what he would do for me. He said, just with naked faith, no feelings, nothing, just trusting God. And he said, as I walked down that, he said, suddenly, suddenly God came to my heart. God came and cleansed my heart. God came and filled me with the Holy Spirit. God came and made Christ real to me within. He said, I was changed. I was transformed. I was revolutionized by the power of that encounter with the Holy Ghost. You see, my dear friends, it wasn't just an experience, although it was that but the life that came with it. Oh, I watched him many times in the prayer meetings when that man sobbed in prayer and cried for the lost. I saw that man in such passion, praying for God to work. Oh, my friends, when Jesus comes and he's Lord of all, you're changed. You're changed. And it's always for the best. It's always for the best. Do you want him to change you? Do you want him to come? Take everything? Be reckless for what God's going to do in Ireland? That you could possibly be a part in it? That you could be a key in it? Would you be willing for that? 
That God would strip away so much that you hold dear tonight in this meeting? That you would let God do that so that he could be God in your life? Would you be willing? Well, let's bow in prayer.